We'll be reading from Psalm chapter 31, verses 23 and 24. And it's Psalm chapter 31, verses 23 and 24. O love the Lord, and, and ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. It is certainly good to see you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We are honored that you are here. We're happy that Catlin and the the kids are here with us today. It's always good to see Mike and uh, uh, maybe uh, here before long we can get this uh, virus thing handled and uh, we can get back to uh, our normal uh, way of life here. Hope is one of the greatest motivating factors in this life. Just think for a moment what hope does for the individual. Hope will change behavior, won't it? Hope gives one the ability to keep going, and it also provides courage when we need courage the most. Hope is powerful, it is comforting, it it will strengthen, and it is absolutely necessary if we're going to live and be able to continue on in this life. Notice some things that, that hope will do for us. The sick will persevere. If there is hope, the unskilled will practice if there is hope. The downcast will press on if there is hope. The farmer will plow if there is hope. The preacher will preach if there is hope. The Christian is someone who looks at hope. As one of the most important things in life. Notice what Paul said when he listed the, the seven ones in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Hope was one of those seven ones. There is one hope. See, that makes it important, doesn't it? Hope is important. The writer of Hebrews called the Christian hope a better hope, Hebrews seven nineteen. It's better because it is rooted in Christ Jesus It's not looking for a Savior to come. It serves a risen Savior who reigns at the moment. Uh, It's better because it gives us something that the the old law couldn't give us. Forgiveness of sin. We mentioned courage earlier. Hope allows one to be courageous in the face of discouraging and depressing events. It's necessary if we're going to fight the fight isn't it? If we're going to stay in the fight, you have to have courage. No matter what that fight is, you have to have courage. Do you believe the colonists would have had the courage they did if they had no hope of being victorious in their battle during the Revolutionary War? Of course they wouldn't have. If you're a lover of history, and I am that, you can look back over over time, and you can see the battles waged throughout the history of the world, and hope had to be there, and it created courage to be able to move forward. We've read about how having no hope destroyed Israel as they stood on the precipice of moving into the the promised land, but they didn't because they lost hope. 
You recall that. Moses sent in 12 spies. Uh, They came back. Ten of them said, look, we found giants in there. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We have no hope of overcoming them. And, of course, they didn't overcome them for another 38 years. Without hope, there's no courage. And without courage, there will never be victory. Now, in our nation at the present, we're not fighting against a tyrannical government like the colonists. In 2020, we're not looking uh, to enter into a place that was given to us like Israel was, but we still need courage. Hope provides courage, and courage, you see, it will keep us in the fight against sin. That's our fight. That's our fight, right? We're not engaged in a physical fight. We're engaged in a spiritual warfare. That's what Paul said. We do not fight against the government. We're not fighting against other people. We're fighting against the powers that try to take our souls away. I want us to be encouraged to understand in a more personal way this morning exactly what courage is and what it does for each of us. But without courage, there is no eternal life. We have to understand that. And without courage, physical life isn't worth living. Have you ever thought about that? Think about that for just a moment. Without courage, the ability to stand up in this life and make life what it ought to be, what kind of life is that? To constantly be uh, having someone ride over you roughshod in this life, is that a life worth living? Now we can be Christians in this life even if it's like that. But boy, if without courage, the ability to stand up, it's hard to have a life that is good. Now what that doesn't mean is, that doesn't mean that fear doesn't exist in this life because fear does exist in this life. But what courage is, is it allows the person to continue even in the face of fear. Not allowing fear to steal one's courage. That's really what courage is. The fearful, the ones... We read about in Revelation 21.8, those who will not enter through the gates into the heavenly realm. You see, they allowed fearfulness to prevent them from doing the things they ought to do to gain heaven. That's what fearfulness is. It's not being afraid or facing fear. Fearfulness is allowing that to overcome one's life and just completely stopping you from doing what you ought to be doing. Think about the courage, uh, the courageous of the past. We mentioned, or uh, Sister Kathy mentioned Noah in a class this morning. Do you believe that Noah was a little bit afraid of living in this world that was 100% and wholly given over to sin? What about when the rains started? You think that scared him up a little bit? Of course it did. He had never seen rain before. He was afraid. But he still built the ark, and he got on the ark, and he did what God asked him to do. What about Abraham? He must have been fearful when he was told to leave his home, to go somewhere where I'll tell you once we get on the road. He faced that fear. What about David? David stood before the great giant Goliath, and he had 
fear, he had to have had fear as he stood before that man. The first century Christians, the apostles, the Christ, they had to face down fear. They all gave their lives for the heavenly purpose. The difference between all those folks and the fearful of Revelation 21 is they did not allow fear to take their courage away. Being courageous doesn't mean you have no fear. I think something is wrong with a person who has zero fear in a situation where you ought to be afraid. God gave us that emotion to help save our lives in certain situations. Consider true hope and courage for a moment. You can't have one without the other. You can't have true hope if you do not have courage. You can't have courage if you don't have true hope. Why be courageous if there's nothing to live for? How can you have true hope if you don't have enough courage to stand up and grasp it and to take the prize? That's exactly what the psalmist was talking about in our passage before us this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is The Hopeful Have Courage. The Hopeful Have Courage. The first thing we're going to consider is hope and courage is active. Hope and courage is active. You're doing something. No matter how small or or, uh, uh, insignificant that it seems, you are doing something. Courage lives in a person who has it, and it will bless those who have it. Courage is a blessing. Again, courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid, that you never face fear, that things don't concern you. I'm concerned about a lot of things in this life. But we have to have courage. Now remember, hope and courage go together, and it is that which saves the lost. Notice what Paul said in Romans 8, beginning with verse 23. He said, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Now what was he talking about? What is hope? Is it something we can put our hands on and say, there it is? Well, that's not what uh, biblical hope is. It's not just a shot in the dark either. We have to understand that. It's not just a, a leap in the dark and, boy, I hope it happens. You see, the world and Christianity, they don't have the same definition of what hope is. Hope in to the world is, man, if it happens, great. I don't expect it to, but I sure hope it does. That's not how the Christian views hope. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, what what do we hope for? We hope for heaven. What's the substance of heaven? It's the things that God has asked us to do. It's the living the way God wants us to live. The evidence of things not seen. That doesn't mean there's no evidence, but it means we can't put our hands on it. It's not empirical, right? You can't put it in a test tube. You can't measure God. You can't measure heaven because it's not physical. It's spiritual. But that doesn't mean there's no evidence for it. There's evidence in the, in the universe for design. There's more evidence for design than there ever has been for that failed hypothesis we know as evolution. See, it doesn't mean there's no evidence. It just means it's a different kind of evidence. 
You see, but if you can see it, why are you hoping for it? You've got it, and that's what Paul is saying. When we get over to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. King James says charity. Well, when we get to heaven, faith and hope will have been realized, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, when we get to heaven, we'll have it. The evidence of things not seen. Well, we'll be in the very presence of God in our spiritual form, and we'll see God. But love carries on. Love won't stop. See, that's all the difference in the world. That's what Paul was talking about, Romans 8. You see, hope sets a goal, and it is one the Christian wants badly enough to be courageous enough to do what is necessary to attain that goal. God gave us the Bible. He gave us a way to understand what He asks of us. We have to be courageous enough to stand up and to do it. That's why Paul said, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. We can't listen to just what someone else says. I could could write something, I could call it the Word of God, but if it came from me, it's not the Word of God, right? It, the Word of God came from inspired men who wrote, and we can prove that. We can prove that through science. I just recently taught an apologetics class at the, at the School of Preaching here in Chattanooga, and we talked about evidences. There are a ton of evidences that point to God as the Creator. Scientific evidences, right? So we have to understand, those who have not given themselves to God, though, they're the ones who will despair when they endure confusion. Things happening in this world that we don't quite understand. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's just the way it is. Sin came into the world, and that's the result. Well, that's confusing sometimes, isn't it? You see wicked people who it seems like everything they touch turns to gold and They have no repercussions in this life, and that's a little bit confusing, but that's the way sin works. That's one of the techniques that Satan uses. He wants us to become discouraged. We talked about discouragement this morning in Bible class. But we have to understand faith or hope and courage, those are active things, things that we're going to do, and it's a blessing. Here's something else. It will also show us what a person can become. Maybe we're not where we ought to be. Maybe we're not what we ought to be. Maybe we're not doing the things we should do. Hope and courage can't be a blessing in our lives until we become what God wants us to become. Courage is always going to help one to rise above a sinful past to become righteous to become blameless, and to be justified before God as we remain faithful, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Here's what we have to understand when it comes to being a Christian or being a non-Christian. Christians are not sinners, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that Christians do not sin on occasion, because we do. That's why God has made this this second law of pardon that we read about in John 1, 1 through 3, when he talks about walking in the light as he is in the light. Then the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. Well, we have to become 
a Christian before that happens. After all, John was writing to Christians. So it doesn't mean that Christians don't sin, but we're not sinners. Okay, A sinner is someone who lives in sin. A sinner is someone who disregards God, has no intention of being obedient to Him, and simply does what he or she wants to do. But courage will help us rise above that, help us become what we need to be. Courage feeds hope. You see, when courage feeds hope, they both give us a permanent comfort, a stable foundation on which we can perform the righteous works of God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Because we do hope for the future reward of heaven, courage allows the faithful to bring forth fruits of righteousness. We're going to do the things God has asked us to do. We're going to grow in faith and we're going to we, we call it the Christian graces of which Peter spoke add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge temperance and, and on and on and we're doing that continually and we're growing in faith and we're doing the things that God wants us to do but brethren it takes courage to be able to do those things what if someone or a group of folks what if you live in an area where everyone looks down on faithful Christians or they make fun of Christians you know thank God we're not persecuted physically yet in this country but you never know when that might happen but there are people in other countries that are persecuted physically and even killed for their Christian faith See, we have to have courage to stand up and and bring forth fruits of righteousness when it comes to that Paul told those in Colossae Colossians 1, beginning with verse 3. He said, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and he knew and knew the grace of God in truth. See, we have to have courage to be able to bring forth fruits of righteousness. Now, that's based in our hope. We have to have courage. You can't separate the two. To have hope, you have to have courage. To have courage, you have to have hope. Because of that, we know our active hope and courage gives God's people the assurance of eternal life. That's our second point. The assurance of eternal life has a great impact on people because it improves us. We have something to work forward to, right? We have something that that we want to measure up to. We see that we have eternal life and we want to maintain eternal life and it improves us. Someone who has uh, nothing to to gain in the future, they see no reason to, to be improving, they're not going to, right? If you're in business and you see uh, no reason to do better, you have all the business, no one else to go to, why would you improve? There's no possibility of losing your business, right? Well, you see, we need to look at it like that, spiritually speaking. We have the opportunity to lose our salvation. Galatians 5 verse 4, Paul said that. If you're justified by the old law, the law, he's talking about the old law, you're fallen from grace. So there's that opportunity that we might lose our salvation. And we don't usually look at that as an opportunity, right? 
but it is. We can choose that if we want to, but we shouldn't want to. We ought to have enough courage to say, I want to maintain my salvation. I want to maintain what God has given to me. And once I obey the gospel and I become a Christian, that gives us something to look forward to, always improving. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul talked about always abounding in the work of God. See, that means overflowing, doing the things he's asked us to do. Our morality is reflected in our beliefs. And without hope in God and assurance of heaven, you see, the comforts of life become the primary goal, right? Our primary goal ought to be the spiritual realm. It improves us to look into the spiritual things of this life. Who will stand up to the possibility of death if he loves this world more than anything? Let's just go back and, and look at the first century Christians. Rome was mystified. What are we going to do with these Christians? They do not fear death. How do you control a bunch of people who do not fear death? Okay, let's go back into our own history, back during the Revolutionary War, to the colonists who stood up against England. They stood up because they believed that the rights that they had as humans was given to them by God. Inalienable, right? All you have to do is read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and it talks about these inalienable rights given to us by God. And so they were willing to stand up and give their lives for that freedom that they uh, prized so much. Now, what if they thought that those rights were given by some person? Would they have wanted to give up their, their lives? How could they if all they loved was this world? That's what we see in the New Testament Christians in the first century. They gave up their lives because they loved the next life greater than this life. The material things are, were, are wonderful. Material things are great. I love it when, when faithful Christians do well in business or, or whatever, uh, whatever kind of employment they have. They do well in this life. I love that. I think Christians are deserving of doing well if they work hard. And so there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with having, having a lot of money, but there's something wrong when we place that before God. That's where the problem comes in. Money's not the problem. I don't know anyone that, that couldn't use a little more money, right? But when we place that above and beyond everything else, see, you're going to give up your life for, for the physical? That doesn't make sense because you love the physical, right? If you love the spiritual, you'll give up your life. And that's what we see, and that's what, that's what hope and courage, it improves us. And it will uh, uh, give us an incentive, right? It'll give us an incentive. It improves us and gives us an incentive to do better. That's the whole design behind it, right? John said this. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. See, it will purify our lives. Hope and courage, will it purify our lives? Because it allows us to do the things that we ought to do to have the hope 
to have purity, right? It gives us an incentive to live righteously, Titus 2, 11 through 13. It gives us a reason to be joyful, Romans 12, verse 12. Those people who are not Christians in this world, they do not understand the joy and the peace that Christians have. They just don't get it. Paul explained it this way. Notice Philippians 4, beginning with verse 6. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We go back to the Roman Empire. They just couldn't understand how a bunch of folks would give their lives for something you can't put your hand on. How are you going to control the Christians? You can't control them. They'll give their lives for their, for their faith, for those things in which they believe. How can they do that? Because they've got the peace of God. It passes the understanding of this world. People who are not Christians, people who do not love God, all they've got in this life is this world. And they'll fight tooth and nail to keep it, but they won't give their own lives for it because they love this world. They don't want to leave it, Right? That makes sense. See, we have to we have to understand that we have an incentive to do better, to have that peace that passes understanding. You know, how many pagans had the courage to give their lives for their false gods? We don't read a whole lot about that, do we? I don't know that they had true faith in them. I think they probably understood that they were uh, uh, misleading themselves. When we consider godly hope and courage, I think it is clear it has to be active. have to have an active hope and an active courage. It gives the Christian assurance. And then finally, all that is possible, it's all possible, because of God's affection toward us. We take God's affection away, and that's our third and final point. We're not going to have hope. We're not going to have courage. He's the source. He makes it all happen. And so all of that is built in to His affection for us. His affection is felt when we're in His presence. Think about that. Listen to the words of the psalmist again. Oh, love the Lord, all ye His saints... For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now the intent behind that phrase, the Lord preserveth the faithful, it means this. It means to watch, to guard, to keep, guard from dangers, and to be kept close. Maybe that's my favorite part of that definition. God keeps us close. Why wouldn't we be strengthened? Or why wouldn't we have courage? Right? I think maybe that's the intent as well. God keeps the faithful in His presence. You remember the promise that Jesus made, John 10, 29. He said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful promise to know that no person can make any of us leave the the Father's hand. Right? His presence. 
That's again, we go back to the Roman Empire. They did all they could do and they could not make the Christians leave the presence of God because the Christian refused to do it. Now here is uh, another aspect of John 10, 29. It has been misused and abused almost from the very time it was written. People will take that statement and they'll say, there you go, there's no way to lose your salvation. Well, notice again what it said. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. No person, no situation can cause a person to deny Christ. Now, we might deny Christ, we might give in to it, if we do not have the hope and the courage that we ought to have, how many of those people during, uh, written about in the Revelation toward the end of the first century under the, the uh, reign of Domitian, king of Rome, how many of those folks lost their lives? Well, we read about it in the Revelation, don't, they? don't we? They lost their lives. It talks about the beheaded who were beneath the throne. Of course, all that's a figurative teaching that uh, we might give our lives up in this world but the next world, the next life is worth it all. No one can make us become unfaithful. The writer of Hebrews encouraged his writers. He said, Hebrews 13, 5, he said, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus isn't going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's kept us in His presence, and we see His affection in that. We see His affection also in His power. In His power. He's provided everything we need to live in this world. We look at the, at the general providence. It rains, the sun shines, we have oxygen, we've got trees, we're able to plant food. All of these things, that's the power of God the change in the seasons, all of those things. We see that in His power. He has provided all things that we need physically, but He's also provided all things that we need to have a successful spiritual life. Notice what Peter promised. 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. He said, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, talking about Christ, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, when we consider our own children, we want to give them every opportunity in this life. You know, I don't know a parent who, if they were able, would not give their children a fresh start in life when they left home, free of all debt, they'd do it, wouldn't they? If they had the capability to do that. But here's something that we often overlook. We need to give our children a, a, a good fresh start spiritually in this life. We need to do all we can do to head them down the right path. Now, it's up to them. Whether they want to stay on the path or not, but it's up to me as a father to put them in that direction. Then they can choose. If they choose not to do that, I've done all I can do other than just to continually encourage them, right? But we need to give them a good start. God's done the same thing for us. He's advised us. 
He's commanded us. He's warned us. He's given that to all of us. He's provided that information for our benefit. You see, we have to have hope and courage. How do we get the hope and the courage? Well, let's go back to what Paul said. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. We have to dig into the Bible. We have to understand what God expects from each of us. God hasn't left us to our own devices. He hasn't told us to to come up with our own plan of salvation. He's very clearly given it to us, and all we have to do is accept it. So how do I become a Christian? When we look in Ephesians 1, verse 3, we see that, that Paul said all spiritual gifts are in Christ Jesus. So if all spiritual gifts are in Christ Jesus, I need to understand how to get into Him, right? Well, we go over to Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, he's writing to Christians. He says, we're all the children of God. Now, how, do, how, how are we all the children of God? Well, he's writing to Christians. Christians are the children of God. He said, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So that's how I get into Christ, right? All spiritual blessings are in Christ. I'm baptized into Christ. Well, surely there's something else we need to do besides that. I have to understand why, right? God's very reasonable. So we, we hear from the Bible. That produces faith. What's faith going to do for me? Faith answers a whole lot of questions, doesn't it? Faith tells me where I've been doing good, where I haven't been doing good. Faith tells me where I have uh, gone against the commandments of God and how to fix that, right? We know that is repentance. What's repentance? Well, repentance is a Roman military term. It means about face, really, is what it means. So I'm going in whatever direction I'm going away from God, I'm 180 degrees going away from God. Now, if I repent, for godly sorrow worketh repentance, right? That's what Paul said. Godly sorrow says, I'm sorry because I hurt God. Have you ever disappointed a parent? <laughs> Maybe when you were little, you got in trouble, and, and you were sorry mostly just because you got in trouble, right? As, as the older you got, now, now Mike probably caused a whole lot of trouble when he was growing up. He didn't like that. But as we get older and we have a relationship with our parents, I know this was, was my case. If I did something that hurt my father, I was hurt because he was hurt. I wasn't hurt because I got caught. I was hurt because I disappointed him. See, that's what godly sorrow is. Godly sorrow says, I want to do better. I want to do what God wants me to do, and that's repentance. I'm going to turn to him. Then we have confession, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Says for with the with the mouth, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that's a necessary part, right? And we see that in, in real time action in Acts 8, verse 37. Uh, Philip was teaching the eunuch, they were going along, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Now remember, we'll go back to Galatians 3. Why was water important? Because you're baptized into Christ. That's where all spiritual blessings are. So, Philip had taught the eunuch that. He said, see, here's water. What hindereth me from being baptized? He said, thou mayest, if thou believest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They stopped the chariot. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. 
You see, we have faith, we have repentance, we have confession, we have immersion in water, and now, brethren, we've got courage and hope. And we just have to continue. That's called faithful living, isn't it? Paul talked about that in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. Now I know there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not just for me alone, but for all those who love his appearing. Always remember, this life is temporary, but heaven is eternal. Hope is designed to give us courage. You need to answer the Lord's invitation. Do that this day. If you've never obeyed the gospel, we talked about how to do it. We stand ready to help you in either way. If you need to repent, come back as a faithful Christian. You've stepped outside the light, and you need to make a confession publicly. Do that as we stand and as we sing.